Welcome to Elevate Louisiana's Engage Videocast. Elevate Louisiana was founded in 2020 to empower women leaders throughout Louisiana by connecting and educating them on the challenges impacting our state with data-driven nonpartisan solutions to make a better future for Louisiana. Hello, I'm your host, Julie Stokes. Today, we are presenting an interview with Governor John Bell Edwards that was previously recorded at our Legislative Leadership Conference. The son of a sheriff and charity hospital nurse, John Bell Edwards understood the importance of serving others from an early age. From his service as an active duty airborne ranger in the U.S. Army to his time in the Louisiana House of Representatives, Governor Edwards believes in putting people first. After commanding a parachute infantry regiment in the 82nd Airborne, Governor Edwards retired from the Army with the rank of captain. He moved back home and earned a law degree from Louisiana State University before opening a civil law practice in his hometown of Amid. In 2008, the people of House District 72 elected him to the Louisiana House of Representatives, where he represented the people of Amit, Greensburg, Kentwood, and Hammond for eight years before being elected governor in November 2015. On January 11, 2016, John Bell Edwards was sworn in as the 56th governor of Louisiana. And in 2019, the people of Louisiana reelected him to another four-year term. His governorship has spanned civil unrest in Baton Rouge, historic flooding, several major hurricanes, and of course, the COVID-19 pandemic. It's certainly been an interesting chapter in all of our lives and certainly for the state of Louisiana. We are all anxious to see where we are now heading legislatively in 2021. I present to you, Governor John Bell Edwards. Julie, thank you. I appreciate the opportunity to be with you and all of the Elevate uh, folks today. And, and I know you've got some officers that I know pretty well, uh, Pilar and Valerie and Melanie. And my, my prepared remarks are going to be relatively brief so that we can get to questions. And uh, I can't spend more than about 30 minutes with you because I have a press conference today that will be dominated by COVID uh, information. Um, but I, I do want to wish all of you a good afternoon. I appreciate the, the opportunity, the invitation to speak at this virtual event. Uh, as Julie just said, it's been a difficult year, an incredibly difficult year. Uh, this room that I'm in is where we do our virtual unified command group meetings now, where, where I am at least uh, for those meetings. We're actively managing five disasters. Uh, that we're, we're trying to work through and recover from. And that's three hurricanes, a winter freeze, and, and certainly the pandemic that we've, we've uh, been experiencing for more than a year now. Uh, because of COVID, uh, we are now uh, more than 10,000 uh, deaths in Louisiana. Um, that's 10,000 Louisianans who are no longer with us. And those are empty chairs around uh, dinner tables and, and aunts and uncles and parents and children. I mean, you just name it. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's been quite a year. And for people who were tempted to believe early on that this really was being blown out of proportion, um, let me tell you, 30% more people died in Louisiana in 2020 than died in 2019. That's because of the pandemic. Uh, and it's at least 15 times more deadly than uh, the worst flu season. Because uh, I know that there were many people out there who wanted folks to believe that uh, that it was no worse than the flu. 
clearly that's not uh, true. Uh, COVID is still uh, in every corner of Louisiana. Uh, it continues to spread. Um, the, the UK variant, the B117 variant has been confirmed all over the state uh, as well. Uh, the thought is still that over the next couple of three weeks, it will become the predominant uh, variant of the strain uh, of the virus uh, that, that's going to be uh, spreading here and elsewhere around the country. And the challenge there is it's, it's, it's more uh, easily transmitted by at least 50%. And if you get it, uh, you are more likely to have a serious illness that would require hospitalization uh, and, and potentially death. The good news for all of this is that we know what works. Masking works, distancing works, and vaccines work. And we know that the vaccines are effective against this variant as well. In fact, I participated in a call yesterday uh, where Dr. Fauci was, was making that precise point. So at the end of the day, we get through this pandemic because enough people get vaccinated. Uh, that's really the only way we're going to get back to normal. And we're going to do that in stages. It's not going to be like flipping a light switch. Um, and, and we're not going to go from pandemic to nothing. We're going to go from pandemic to endemic. And, and so uh, going forward, in all likelihood, we're going to require booster shots. Um, and, and we will have people contracting uh, COVID uh, and getting sick and dying, albeit in hopefully much, much, much smaller numbers numbers uh, going forward for a very long time. So nobody should be out there thinking that somehow this is going to magically disappear. And I know there have been people who've said that even when we reach herd immunity, it doesn't go away. It just means that, that more people will be protected from it, but certainly not everybody. And what, what we need to do and what I'm asking your help with is to minimize vaccine hesitancy maximize vaccine confidence. We have three safe and effective vaccines. People should get vaccinated as soon as they are able with whichever vaccine is offered to them uh, first. Uh, when the legislative session begins uh, on April the 12th, we're still going to be working in a COVID environment, uh, but clearly the policies that we're going to pursue uh, are designed to move our state forward uh, even after the pandemic is over. Clearly, this is a fiscal session. Julie's been through a number of those, and with her expertise uh, in the tax world, um, she was always front and center. Uh, but tax reform is going to, again, be a hot topic. Um, I, I just want to caution everybody that not everything that is labeled as reform actually represents an improvement, um, and, and uh, we need to be mindful of that. However, I am supportive of real tax reform. Uh, I think it needs to be revenue neutral. And the reason I say that is we know that the 0.45 cents of additional sales tax goes away in 2025. That's worth half a billion dollars. We know that some of the sunsets we put on tax expenditures uh, reductions uh, mean that in the same year, 2025, uh, those tax expenditures are going to resume to the full amount, uh, and that's going to further erode our revenue. Uh, and, and, and altogether, that's close to a billion dollars. So, so tax reform this year needs to be revenue neutral uh, for, for those reasons and a couple of more. Uh, 
you may have seen the language in the most recently passed uh, stimulus bill, the American Rescue Plan, uh, that, that indicates that, that we can't uh, intentionally reduce our revenue through tax breaks in Louisiana and also use money that they are uh, making available to us uh, through that stimulus. And, and secondly, I, I guess additionally, I would say, uh, the fact of the matter is we already have a low state and local tax burden. It's one of the fifth lowest in the country. Um, but what we have is an unnecessarily complex uh, system that is hard to administer. Uh, and we need to get the uh, nominal rates uh, closer to what the effective rates are um, so, so that we have more transparency and ease of administration. Um, we've already released my budget proposal, uh, which is balanced. Uh, we don't have a, a need uh, to make cuts this year. Uh, we're saving on expenditures in our Medicaid program uh, because of the enhanced FMAP that we're getting from the federal government through the end of the uh, public health emergency, which will go at least through the end of this calendar year, and that is very helpful. Uh, but we've got a pay raise for K-12 teachers and support staff. We've got uh, a, a historic increase in GO grants, need-based aid for higher education, but a similar increase in our TOPS program. A higher education uh, funding uh, is increased to include the faculty uh, pay raise, uh, you know, full funding for our senior sitters and councils on aging and, and, and those sorts of things. So it's a responsible uh, budget. Uh, the bills that are part of my legislative package this year highlight our vision for a thriving Louisiana where everyone has uh, fair and meaningful uh, access to opportunity. Uh, this includes several bills aimed at improving the lives of Louisiana women. Uh, it is fitting that today is equal pay day and and um, as you all know, uh, Louisiana ranks just about dead last in the country for equal pay uh, with women on average uh, earning 72 cents on the dollar for what white males earn. Uh, for women of color, uh, these numbers are worse. Uh, black women average about 49 cents on the dollar and Latino women about 53 cents on the dollar. I know that many of you are familiar with my past efforts to advance uh, equal pay legislation. You, you've been here to champion the cause and I thank you. Um, I'm asking you uh, to continue uh, in that effort. Uh, and we're gonna be doing that this year with a pay transparency bill. Uh, it is my firm to believe, believe that if we end pay secrecy, employers uh, will feel the pressure to do right by their employees and not discriminate on the basis of gender. Uh, because they don't want people talking about that. They don't want so many of their employees uh, to know that they are being discriminated against and this problem will tend to correct itself. Another way that we should be supporting women better in the workplace is by making reasonable accommodations for pregnant and postpartum workers. I don't think anybody should lose their job because they're pregnant or uh, because they simply need temporary accommodations like uh, eating accommodations, approval to carry water on a retail floor, more frequent uh, bathroom breaks, or, or being relieved of, of uh, the requirement to lift uh, certain amounts uh, and, and that sort of thing. Uh, this not only helps the economic stability of the parent, but it promotes the health of both the mom and the baby. Uh, and, and obviously these are areas that are very important and we need to make progress in Louisiana. A policy that we discussed last year uh, that will again be in my package is auto discrimination 
I'm sorry, auto insurance anti-discrimination legislation. Um, last year, the legislature passed Act 49, which prohibits insurers from increasing rates on those deployed in the military. Um, and we need to continue that work, but now we need to prohibit uh, insurers from basing rate determinations on gender, on age uh, over 25, on credit scores, and on someone's status as a widow or a widower. Um, and, and we know that that happens, uh, and, and this is not just some theoretical uh, issue. Uh, and other states that have attacked this uh, have seen more equitable uh, premiums uh, charged to, to citizens of their states uh, and lower premiums, by the way. A new proposal that we're going to make uh, this year is the creation of an Office of Human Tracking, uh, Trafficking Prevention that we want to put in the governor's office. Uh, this is an issue that I care very deeply about. Uh, for those of you who are familiar with Donna's work, uh, the First Lady's work, you know that she's uh, been working in this space for a long time as well. Um, but this is an issue that, that remains front and center because quite frankly, there's too many individuals uh, being trafficked, especially children and women. Uh, and and uh, we've got to do more uh, to, to make sure that we end that. Uh, I will tell you, we have made uh, progress when it comes to identifying tra trafficking cases and supporting survivors, uh, but creating a designated office will allow us a place to be even more concentrated in our efforts on ending these horrific uh, acts. We're also going to be proposing several bills related to sexual harassment and Title IX reporting. Um, I think everybody uh, on this virtual call uh, have seen the stories that have come forward recently related to LSU and, and Title IX issues. Um, and they horrified me, uh, quite frankly. Um, we all have an obligation to do better going forward. And we need to be proactive and not assume that these issues are limited to LSU, but we need to be talking to all of higher education in Louisiana so that they can all take advantage of lessons learned uh, at that one institution. Uh, our students and our workers deserve to live, work, and learn in the safest uh, possible environment. Um, and it's very important for me that every young person and every parent of young people who are considering higher education in Louisiana or actually are on our campuses, that they know that they're gonna be safe uh, and, and, and that they actually are safe. Uh, so we're working on the details of the proposals, but, but I can tell you they're gonna include uh, mandatory reporting of Title IX uh, allegations um, and uh, with a potential penalty for termination for those mandatory reporters who don't report when they have an obligation uh, to do so, absent some uh, really uh, compelling uh, reason. Um, calls of action for sexual harassment uh, and, and uh, you know, to include uh, potentially punitive damages against a perpetrator and a longer prescriptive period so that these actions can be brought uh, as many as three years after uh, they occur, um, and then limiting pre-dispute arbitration for sexual harassment. So I don't believe that any employer ought to be able to make as a condition of employment or of continued employment, uh, the employee signing <clears throat> an agreement that if they are the victim of sexual harassment, that 
that they're going to arbitrate that dispute and not have access to our courts. Now, obviously, if after uh, the incident occurs, uh, an individual chooses to arbitrate, that's one thing, but being forced to do it uh, through a clause in a contract where the, the employee doesn't have equal bargaining power, I think is wrong, and I think it ought to be against public policy. So these are a few highlights from the bills in my package. Um, there are so many more things that we could talk about related to the American uh, Rescue Plan Act uh, and other things related to tax reform and, and so forth. Uh, but I do have a press conference coming up shortly that if you're interested in COVID, I would encourage you to tune in. There will be some, um, I think, some positive announcements uh, today uh, about our path forward. Uh, but I've got to go prepare for that. But before I do, at this time, Julie, I would like to take some questions. Sir, I, I really appreciate that you opened up the shots for 16 to 64 four-year-olds, but you have to have an underlying condition. So is there any chance that Louisiana will just open it up to all eligible adults? Like just all adults, period. Never gonna happen, no. Watch it 2.30. Okay. <laughs> I, I might be in the middle of carpool, so I was sort of hoping I could get a sneak peek. Uh, no, just, just, so, so, uh, watch it 2.30, but I think you'll be, I think you'll be pleasantly surprised. And we're, we're going to be able to make some changes because uh, we now know that the Johnson & Johnson uh, dose allocations mm -hmm. will be increased significantly next week, and that that's a floor on what we can expect going forward, and it should actually increase even more over the next several weeks. And that, uh, along with an increase, and by the way, that's 26,600 more Johnson & Johnson next week than this week, and there's also going to be about uh, 14,000 more Pfizer next week than this week, and, and these are all floors. So we now have, we, we think the doses coming our way mm -hmm. to support increasing the number of people eligible at one time uh, for the vaccine, because what we don't want are doses sitting in, in, on a shelf or really in a freezer somewhere. We want them getting in people's arms. So tune in at 2.30, but I'm not authorized to make news before 2.30. Okay, I won't, then I won't, then I'll push. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. All right, because I, I have a, a, a just-made 17-year-old yesterday and a 19-year-old yeah. that we'd really like to get the vaccine, and we don't want to have to say that they, that they smoke or something to be able to get it. So. All right, so, Julie, I'll tell you, too. Just 2.30. Watch it 2 .30. 2 .30. All right. I have heard that there's going to be exciting news at 2.30. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and ask one of these questions on my own, but um, of the major tax reforms or tax bills being authored this year. Um, what are you excited about and um, what do you think requires more finessing? Like, what can, what can we really get done? Well, I, I do think it's going to be possible um, to do what you've tried to do for a long time, and that is lower our individual and corporate income tax rates in exchange for getting rid of the constitutional FIT, the deduction for federal income taxes paid, which... Uh, you know, what is it, one other state that does that? Um, and and so we can lower the rates uh, by getting rid of that uh, deduction and and have, uh, again, have the nominal rate and the effective rate be, be much closer to, this, to the same. Um, and, and I think that that helps us with transparency. It helps in the rankings. And quite frankly, the rankings are not something that motivates me. 
it's just good policy to do that. Um, and I think it is possible uh, in a revenue neutral way to do those things. I think it's possible this year, uh, we're closer than ever before on a single centralized sales tax uh, board uh, at the state level. Um, there's some really constructive uh, conversations going on around that. Uh, there might be a possibility to reform, but not do away with the franchise tax because altogether that's $450 million and I don't know how you get rid of it, but there might be some things we can do uh, there. I think the, uh, quite frankly, the one we would all like to tackle, but is just so hard is the inventory tax. Um, uh, and, but, but Brett Alon is making an effort there. So, so I think we do have some real opportunities um, uh, for real revenue neutral tax reform. Uh, and, and I'm looking forward to, to the session. And, and uh, quite frankly, I've, I've thus far, I, I have been um, pleased with the conversations that are happening. The challenge is this, all the parts of the reform package that reduce revenue require a simple majority vote and they're never hard to get. When you start reducing the tax expenditures uh, to make up for that, that typically requires a two thirds vote, especially if something's in the constitution because you know it requires a constitutional amendment. Uh, and so those are less likely to, to pass. And so even though the, the uh, idea at the outset is to have a com comprehensive package that is revenue neutral, what's put on my desk at the end of the day may not be that package. It may not really represent tax reform and it may not be revenue neutral. And looking at what's gonna happen in 2025 with the 0.45 going away, the one thing, Julie, that I am determined to do is not to leave our state with a structural budget deficit like the one that I inherited when I became governor. You know how hard that was to deal with. And I don't want to do that uh, for to the state of Louisiana. Well, and, and, and you know, that's, you know, for we have a policy, we have several policy groups, and one of them is fiscal and budgetary. And, you know, those are two of the things that we're looking at as things that we believe that are possible to have happen too. Um, one of the complicating factors is the fact that the federal $3.2 billion does indicate that it cannot, that we cannot lower taxes. And in speaking with the Senate president and the Speaker of the House, there seems to be do we, do we, I guess my question is, do we know yet, like how that will be measured and if there's a look back period or anything? Well, there's, we, we know some of it, but we, the uh, Treasury has not released the rules of the guidelines that will govern this going forward. So uh, that's going to happen relatively soon, we think. But there's a real challenge uh, that you will understand. Um, Julie, and I suspect all of you all will, when it comes to reducing revenue, um, the, the baseline revenue figure is from 2019. We've already lost a billion dollars from there uh, since, since 2019. So if you have a, just a much smaller incremental revenue loss because you choose to do a tax cut, it may be that you forfeit not just the dollars reflected in that task, that tax cut, but that full billion dollars back to 2019. So we got to figure that out. But at the end of the day, we need to be revenue neutral for several reasons. One of which is we don't want the structural budget deficit uh, that's sure to happen when, when the when the 0.45 goes away. Nobody 
uh, is really around here saying we need to do tax reform because our tax burden is too high. They're saying our system is too complex. So we ought not be doing tax cuts right now anyway. I, I, I don't believe that we should uh, for those reasons. So it, it ought to be an academic exercise, but I'm afraid it won't be an academic exercise because I think there are going to be some people who, who wouldn't mind uh, exploding uh, that, that structural budget deficit again. Well, and, and my concern, and um, if we can bring up Melanie Bronfin um, while I'm asking this question, but, you know, my concern is that we get rid of the federal income tax deduction and we do it in a revenue neutral, bracket neutral way, which is what I think we need to do. I don't think this can benefit one class over the other. I think it just needs yeah. to be done in a neutral way so that we can get it passed. Um, but my concern is that if there's a look back period on lowering taxes, you know, will it eventually, if it accidentally lowers taxes, yeah. you know, will that be a problem? All right. Um, well, you know, I, I worry less about it if it accidentally does that, because we're going to base this on revenue projections. And you know how the Department of Revenue runs the numbers and all those sorts of things. And, and the legislative fiscal office will do it. If we make our best effort to do this in a revenue neutral way, and it turns out that by accident, it lowers revenue. Um, you know, I, we can live with that, and I don't think that they would they would penalize us for that because revenue fluctuates every year. Well, what we can't do is intentionally achieve that result. Um, and and as you know, uh, if it accidentally raises more revenue than we think, it simply requires a bill and a majority of votes to lower rates again. But if it brings in less revenue than we think it should it requires a bill and a two-thirds majority to get that rate back up to, to make it revenue neutral. So I, I just want to be careful and do it uh, in a clear-eyed way that where we have an honest, good-faith effort to be revenue neutral, and I will support that. So, um, yeah, one of the things and what I try to tell people is that it's crucial right now because we're in a situation where we do have an administration that's talking about raising federal income taxes. And if in two years or one year we lower federal income taxes, we could suddenly have a big, I mean, raise federal income taxes, we could suddenly have another big deficit hitting. Um, but in the case that um, our bill accidentally raises money, I know exactly where Melanie Bronfen would like to put it, and I know she has a question. I suspect I do too, but go ahead, Melanie. <laughs> Hello, Governor. Oh, thank you so much, Governor, for all your leadership on so many tough issues that have, my goodness, when you signed up, I know you couldn't in a million years have imagined what has come your way as Governor, and we are grateful for all your leadership and for being here today for Elevate. Um, as you know, I've retired from the Policy Institute, but now Julie's got me working for Elevate. And happily, big surprise, one of Elevate's top priorities <laughs> is early care and education. Uh, my advocacy hat never goes off, but um, but no, as, a, as an organization, it is one of our top priorities. And you have said many times um, that early care and education is one of your top priorities, which has been wonderful to hear you say, but your budget this year, we were very sad to see that it had no new money for early care and education. And so our question today is, will you push for sports betting revenues to go to the early care and education fund? Because we see that as one possibility of some consistent money for early care and education. And will you be able to find money from state general funds for that fund 
this year because we think, as we understand it, that fund has to have state general funds. If you recall, that's the fund that has matching, that will match local dollars um, that are raised for early care and education. And many communities now, New Orleans, Shreveport, other state uh, communities are looking to raise local funds or have raised local funds, and yet that fund has been empty, even though it's been around since 2017. Yeah, so uh, as you know, and, and we don't I, don't, I don't think we have dollar amounts yet. Um, there have been several uh, ways where funds have been dedicated to early childhood education. Um, the hemp um, sales. It's raised very little money, Governor, right? Um, I mean, I think like $200,000. Uh, no, you got to let me finish. I'm sorry. Hemp sales. <laughs> hemp, hemp sales um, and, then, and then the Harris deal. Uh, put money towards early childhood education, and then also fantasy sports uh, betting. And so we we we're yet to see that, but that is going to be some additional funding there. Secondly, uh, will I support additional dedications? Uh, I don't know. It'll depend on what we can do with general fund. Uh, my expectation, and I've had meetings with legislators and uh, today and and for the last several weeks. My expectation in May is that the REC will, will recognize more general fund revenue for next fiscal year than it did in the meeting before I had to present my executive budget proposal. Um, and the top two things that I want to do with the general fund there happen to be uh, early childhood education and a further increase in the, the, the uh, teacher pay raise. Um, we, we, it was, a, it was a challenge this year with the executive budget proposal um, because we had a bigger difference between Greg Albrecht's forecast and Manfred's offer than we've ever seen before. And clearly somebody was off, somebody didn't compute something correctly. I, I think I know who that was, but they ended up going with a lower uh, forecast that came out of the uh, legislative fiscal office. I think they're going to be much closer together and positive in May. And I do believe, but I can't assure you of that and I can't tell you the dollar amount um, but the first two draws on that money for me and what I'm trying to convince the legislature to do is early childhood and and teacher pay now beyond that we do know that they're going to run a bill this year on uh, sports betting uh, you know it is a challenge when too much of your revenue is dedicated because when revenue turns the other way and you end up with a big deficit, the the freedom to tackle the deficit is just not there. And, and, and we struggled through that. And so if I can get more money to early childhood without new dedications, that is my preferred route. Um, if I can't do it without general fund, then everything is on the table. Thank I don't you. know if that answers your question, but that's, that's the way I feel about it. Thank you so much. Thank you. We would um, absolutely love for it to be in the state general fund. And you know how they can find money between the seat cushions at the end of session all the time. <laughs> 86 yeah. million. Well, the, the, the seat cushions are typically LDH. And y'all just take it from, if I say y'all, legislature just takes from LDH and, and, and spends it wherever. So um, the next question I have that has a lot of votes is update, update on broadband expansion in yeah. rural areas. Okay. Um, first could, of all, that is. Uh, could we use, I want to ask you too, in tandem, could we okay. use more 
that three point two billion for that? Um, possibly, but but I don't know that we'll have to use part of it. Well, it, if the three point two includes the the one hundred eighty million dollars that we have specifically for capital uh, broadband, yes. Because I, I think that that $180 million is, is a no-brainer. Um, that's more money than we've ever tried to invest in broadband uh, by multiple of 100, probably. I, I don't know, just more than we've ever done. Uh, but there are lots of different initiatives, lots of pots of money. Uh, the FCC uh, is, is engaged in this space in a robust fashion. Um, locals. Uh, part of their $2 billion can be spent on, on capital projects, including sewer, water, and broadband. So there might be some local governments who want to do this in their areas. But our goal, and, and this is expressed through the Bell Commission that we created and also through the Rural Revitalization Task Force, we want to get broadband across the state of Louisiana. Uh, and, and we know that the market up to now has not allowed or caused that to happen. Uh, there's a significant part of Louisiana where there is no access. And by the way, access means that it's got to be present um, and it's got to be accessible and quality in terms of the bandwidth, but it also has to be affordable. Uh, and the affordability issues abound statewide because we actually have people who live in metropolitan areas that have uh, really good internet available, it's just priced out of their reach. Uh, and so we have an opportunity, we, we are creating a new office here at the state level, um, and there will be announcements next week about that. Um, as far as I'm concerned, the full $180 million can go there. On top of that, we have efforts, uh, I don't know if you know this, but Starlink won a lot of the auctions in Louisiana, that's a company underneath SpaceX, it's one of Elon Musk's, Musk's company. And so their, their plan is to be in Louisiana in a robust uh, fashion uh, with internet access through satellites. Uh, but it has to be affordable, otherwise it just, it just doesn't work. And so we're gonna be working uh, with them. Um, and we have, we're gonna work with all our traditional service providers, whether it's AT&T and Cox and all of those folks, because up to now, the, the market hasn't allowed them to do this uh, but with all the different initiatives and pots of funding and, and efforts, uh, maybe they will come off the sideline and start delivering uh, uh, broadband across the state of Louisiana. It's so important. COVID has, has shined a light on a lot of things in Louisiana. Um, uh, the, the Health Equity Task Force is looking at the disparate impact of COVID uh, based on, on people with pre-existing conditions. And of course, that's, that is... Uh, uh, largely affects minority populations more than other populations, uh, but it also has, has shined a spotlight on the need for to do virtual education better, telehealth better. Um, uh, we think that farmers would be uh, more efficient. We think that small businesses all over the state would be more competitive. We think quality of life is enhanced. Uh, we, we think that to a large degree, if we had quality accessible broadband that was affordable all over the state, you would stop seeing so many people move out uh, of, of rural parishes um, and either to other states or down uh, in Louisiana uh, to the I-10-12 corridor. So there's a lot of reasons to do it. We have more opportunities than we've ever had. And trust me, I will not do what Bobby Jindal did when he sent $90 million back. Uh, we are going to invest the money in broadband in Louisiana. Excellent. And I just wanted to let you know that we are having Beneath Iyengar 
speak in a couple of weeks. Yep. So we are going to be hosting around. You're going to be he's going to be very impressed uh, uh, with his presentation. Awesome. So I had um, I don't know how much time you have left, but I do have one I've more. Got one more question because uh, I've got to go get ready for a press conference so I can announce some of the things y'all might be interested in. Well, this question will not be about that. Um, well, first of all, I want to bring up Ann Knapp. And while she's coming up, I want to preface her question with one of, does the gas tax have any chance of passing this session? What do you think? Yeah, that, that, that appears to me to be uh, just uh, a hill too far. In a pandemic, uh, to vote to raise revenue, it, it, look, we need it. Uh, in 2017, I fully embraced uh, an increase in the gas tax. Um, we need capacity projects. We need more preservation and maintenance. Um, the amount we're generating for our transportation trust fund is inadequate, uh, and and it hasn't been adjusted. I think we now have the third oldest gas tax in the country. Um, there's a lot of reasons to do it. I just don't see how it gets a two-third vote uh, as we're coming out of a pandemic uh, with the impact that it's had on individuals and families and businesses across the state. Uh, what I will tell you is two caveats to that. If there's an infrastructure package passed by Congress that requires more non-federal match than we're currently generating, uh, we need to do whatever is necessary to participate in that. Uh, and so a special session would be in order. Uh, and then lastly, part of it isn't just about a gas tax increase. You probably, we were talking about Elon Musk a while ago, uh, Tesla, uh, but General Motors has announced that by 2035, they won't be producing non-electric vehicles. So, so if we simply rely on a gas tax to, to handle infrastructure, more and more of the roads aren't going to be paying into that at all. I mean, I'm sorry, more and more of the cars using our, our, our highways and, and bridges won't be paying into that at all. So really, it's almost as important to do reform as it is to do increase. Um, but I don't see it happening this year. Um, just, you know, in my conversations with people in the legislature, it's just, that's just not something that, that, that I believe you can do as you're coming out of a pandemic. So the question that Ann had um, is, would you support tolls to pay for major infrastructure? Yeah, well, the answer is yes, and we're doing that. Uh, we have the first toll project with a with a private uh, public private partnership uh, down in um, Plaquemines Parish now. The Bell Chase uh, Tunnel and Bridge replacement with a new bridge. Um, I can tell you we're pursuing a similar arrangement in Lake Charles with a new bridge over the Calcasieu River on I-10, um, and and it's something we have to consider. Uh, and and what we want to do is put together all the public funding that we can to buy down the expense of the bridge that's that's put up by the private in, uh, private entity so that the toll can be as low as it can be. Um, but if we don't have this as part of our arsenal going forward, uh, quite frankly, we're going to miss out on, on a lot of opportunities to improve our infrastructure. And look, this is hard to do because Louisianans are toll averse. Um, and that goes back to when Huey Long won in 1928. Um, he came behind uh, the other candidate and said, I'll build that same bridge, but I'm not going to put a toll on it. And ever since then, nobody wants a toll in Louisiana. Um, but if you look around the country and when you travel, you, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, just about every other state that is, that is doing better than we are in terms of meeting their infrastructure needs the tolling component is, is something that they do rely upon, and we're going to have to do that here as well. And I think what you're going to see, I know you saw it in the Trump administration, 
but going forward, uh, this is probably going to be a bipartisan emphasis is that the federal government is going to be more likely to help you fund a project if you're involving the private sector and that will often involve a toll. And if you're not prepared to do the tolls, you're not going to be competitive for the funding that would otherwise be available to you. And we can't afford to do that either. Right. So I suppose you don't have time for one more question, right? I do not. I, I, but I do I do thank you all very much. My, my people are over here. You can't see them, but they're telling me I'm, I'm late getting up. Well, well, I know, and that's why I phrased it that way, because there's a bunch more questions, but I just really want to thank you for participating in today's program, and I know you have actually given us a few extra minutes, so I want to give you credit for that. I really appreciate it. Um, I know you've been dealing with a, a lot of difficult things, so taking the time for us really means a lot. Well, thank you very much. Can you know, please engage on, on these issues that I talked about in my prepared remarks, uh, whether it's, it's, it's pay equity or the title um, nine issues or whether it's it's just sex harassment in any workplace uh, or uh, whether it's about uh, maternal health and, and so forth. Please, please show up and, and uh, it'll be different this year because I, I you know, the legislature is going to meet for two months. Uh, there are still going to be some COVID uh, protocols, uh, but it'd be much easier to participate than it was last year. And so please show up and, and make your voices known. Um, and, and look, I, I expect that I said some things today that you all may disagree with, and you need to make that known to me as well. That's just that's just part of the process. But but thank you all so much, and and I do appreciate the opportunity again to be with you. Thanks, well, Julie. Thank you. thank you so much, and we're all anxious to see you know what this legislative session has in store for the people of the state. There are a lot of constructive things, and we appreciate your agenda. We we appreciate all everybody's thoughts about how to make the state better. And we're just looking as a group of women who care a whole lot about how we can make a difference. So um, let's stay engaged. We will be having a day at the Capitol on April 27th. Uh, so we'll be dropping right. in. So we'll see you again. Thank y'all. Thank you so much.